as it comes out of the pandemic again, I think the Indonesian business community uh, will once again prove many people wrong in terms of its strong recovery. Shwab Kagda's nearly quarter century in Indonesia has been punctuated by crisis change. There was the ouster of Suharto and the financial meltdown and banking crisis that followed, direct elections for president, the end of the commodity boom a decade ago, were just a few of the watershed moments after that. Indonesia's economy and democracy proved its mettle each time. And now, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, at a time when geopolitical shocks are wreaking havoc on the price of energy and food, it increasingly looks as if Indonesia may be weathering these seismic events too. Its exports of commodities, including coal, steel, and palm oil, are padding government coffers, just as the digital economy, including fintech and e-commerce, creates an entirely new entrepreneurial class. In our conversation, Schwab urges investors to be patient. They must find the right local partners and build their own networks and be prepared for the long haul. Schwab started his career in 1988 at my sister publication, The Business Times, and arrived in Indonesia a decade later. He launched Globe Asia, Indonesia's first English-language magazine, and served for three years as a group editor-in-chief for Berita Satu Media Holdings, the publisher of Globe Asia, Jakarta Globe, and Investor Daily. Schweb is the founder of media consultancy Synthesis Communications and the Indonesian Economic Forum. And as if that wasn't enough, he also chairs the governing council of the Singapore Chamber of Commerce. My name is Jeff Hutton. I'm the regional correspondent for the Straits Times of Singapore. I spoke with Schweb in late May, and I began by asking him how he would describe this moment in which Indonesia finds itself. Shob Kagda, welcome to the show. Most welcome. Happy to be here. It's fantastic. Look, how would you best describe this moment as Indonesia emerges from the pandemic? What's this moment like? To, if you could sum it up in a few sentences. Well, I think the word that most appropriately defines Indonesia is resilience. After the 1998 crisis. I think many observers and experts around the world talked about the balkanization of Indonesia. It did not happen. Indonesia, in fact, emerged stronger as a democratic nation. After the 2008 financial crisis, there was talk of another meltdown within Indonesia. Again, Indonesia proved many of these doubters wrong. And I think in this, and as it comes out of the pandemic again. I think the Indonesian business community uh, will once again prove many people wrong in terms of its strong recovery. So I, I would actually say that this time round, there is a possibility that Indonesia's uh, economic recovery and growth will be pretty robust. And I say this primarily because the two things that have happened during the pandemic. One is the incredible acceleration of the digital economy. I'm sure you know many people know about GoTo, all the e-commerce platforms. But I think 
just below that kind of you know uh, stars is the digitalization of many many both large conglomerations and what i call medium sized uh, enterprises that's number one number two i think also over the next decade or so we will see growth of indonesia's services sector so in the past the growth has basically been driven by commodities as you rightly said manufacturing financial services but this time around i think is going to be really driven by the services sector when i say services i mean logistics financial services of course things like accounting legal all those services i think will start to to really come into their own so i would say indonesia is once again in a sweet spot it's uh, it's coming out just at the right time and of course the demographic bonus continues right uh, young productive population will continue to contribute for at least another two decades before that window closes and uh, you know we're looking at exports up by half in april we're looking at uh, trade surplus uh, the highest that we've seen in a while we've seen investment both domestic and foreign up 29% in the first quarter so what do you think is driving these gains uh, there's been quite a lot of structural reforms legislative reforms regulatory reforms by the widodo government is there, is there any that you can point to that's uh, maybe behind these these big gains well the overall structure of the economy as you rightly point out over the last two decades has changed okay i'm sure many people know the omnibus law that was passed last year that has had immense uh, influence and uh, impact not just on the domestic economy but i think more importantly the global perception of doing business in indonesia i think there's greater recognition that indonesia actually offers investors in across many sectors huge opportunities uh, that's number 1 so that's driving the investment flow into indonesia in terms of the trade flows in terms of the uh, export earnings i think it's a combination is probably a perfect storm in a very positive way because again commodity prices have gone up and of course the war in the, in uh, ukraine has driven up you know commodity prices uh, which has benefited indonesia i think at the end of the day while there has been so much focus on the new economy i would say the old economy is uh, coming back roaring I mean the manufacturing sector in particular. Um, yes. You just look at the, so the, the the data also. Um, stainless steel exports are through the roof, and that's that's part of the. Uh, sorry, I would also add that you know uh, the spending on infrastructure over the Jokowi's uh, first five years is starting to prove and starting to really help boost exports because you know you can move these goods and services around very rapidly and cost efficiently. you can move them around rapidly because of the hard infrastructure but also the 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 soft infrastructure the the logistics companies even even between people is just a go jack away this this economy is completely different from even when i showed up 10 years ago so i wanted to ask you then what are the key challenges though looking forward i think the um the ongoing transformation and uh, restructuring of corporations will have to continue um so there is basically two prong right one of course is the macro picture and this is where 
the next government, I mean, this current government has probably just another year to go. And the next government must continue, I think, the investment in high infrastructure. Although there's been incredible progress and development, you know, we, we know about uh, the Sumatra Highway. You know, we've seen what the cross uh, Java Highway has done for the Javanese uh, economy. That same will apply to the Trans-Sumatra Highway. We still need to build a lot more ports. It's still, you know, pretty expensive to transport goods and material to Papua, for example, or to Sulawesi. So that integration of Indonesia's five main islands is very critical. I think that that's going to be one of the key challenges going forward. Because once you have that, you can access those islands, which largely today remain pretty undeveloped. Uh, so that's, outside I think, one of, Outside of Sumatra, outside of outside Java. Outside of Java. Still, yeah, much yeah. of Sumatra, actually, still, I mean, you know, if you're trucking goods out of Sumatra, it's still pretty expensive. There are no major ports, but I think there are plans to do that. So I think that that, that must continue. But in that, the, the key will be to find the financing, right? Because at the end of the day, the government is only spending 20% of what is really needed to build this infrastructure. So the, um, uh, in connection to that will be legal reform and, and making sure that investors are legally protected. They understand basically both the risks and the rewards of investing in hard infrastructure across Indonesia. And I think also, thirdly, would be bring in world-class management of this infrastructure, right? To manage a port, for example, uh, requires both uh, human expertise as well as new technologies so that is efficiently run. I understand like the Dubai ports, Port of Singapore Authority are very keen to come in and participate in the development of these ports. But the government must ensure that they put in the right, what I would call regulatory as well as financial incentives uh, to attract these investors. So they need to be able to have the regulatory backing. You need the skills and you need the, the capital markets. Do you see movement in that direction? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, I think Dubai Ports is already working with INA, the, uh, the newly set up sovereign wealth fund, to look at investing in ports and then Dubai Ports managing those ports, right? I also know that PSA is very keen to come in, uh, for example, to participate in the Kendall Port uh, Development Tanjung Priok needs to be expanded, you know, and then of course new ports built in Sumatra so that, you know, Sumatra's vast natural resources can be, um, you know, transported out and uh, to the world in a cost efficient and timely manner. So, yes, I think there is great interest from foreign investors. But again, finding the right Indonesian partner, having the right regulatory framework, and of course, you know, uh, ensuring that financial capital that is invested in Indonesia is protected. The you know, rate, rates are rising in the U.S. There's inflationary concerns. There's geopolitical tensions attracting, getting attention to this part of the world feels like uh, a, a taller a taller order? Well, I think the era of cheap money is over. 
right? Mm. Um, uh, with rising in interest rates, you know, uh, of course, as you said, geopolitical tensions, Indonesia will have to work a lot harder to attract global capital. But there is still a lot of money out there. It's just that, you know, the, the rate of return is going to be lower. So which means that really investors will be very strict and very careful as to where they invest. Now, mm-hmm. Indonesia offers great opportunities, you know, in this region, right? So we have to separate each region, right? So you have North Asia, you have Southeast Asia, uh, you have the Middle East, you have, you know, Africa, of course, Europe and North America. So if you're a global investor, you'd be looking at all this. Now, you can go back and invest in an American market. But I think you, to find good projects to invest in America, you know, and compare them with projects in Indonesia or in Southeast yeah. Asia against China, that's where Indonesia must really shine, right? Because right. at the end of the day, it's projects. You know, you don't want to, I mean, there are market investors, but really the key investors, those who will really invest over 10, 20, 30 year time frame. That's right. I believe that they will still look at Indonesia, but Indonesia must also deliver. Right. You know, we're hearing an awful lot about the disruption of supply chains, those geopolitical uh, tensions that we were talking about. There is an, a grow, an accelerating trend, and we hear about it quite often, out of China, or at least looking for alternative bases of operations outside of China, a plan B, if you will. Is Indonesia picking up on this? I remember that. I'm sure you've heard of this story that there, there was a study by the World Bank and they found they, they canvassed some companies working and operating in China and they're looking for other places to operate and none of them said it, Indonesia. Jokowi was uh, apoplectic about that. Uh, are, are we seeing a trend now or is, that, is Indonesia getting noticed? Yeah, I think Indonesia missed the first boat as uh, many companies uh, exited China. But let's say, let's be clear, they didn't really exit China. Like you said, they, they were right. actually looking for China plus one, right? Exactly. And uh, so they kept factories, but they said, okay, our second factory, we will not put it in China. Let's look for an alternative destination. And a lot of that went to Vietnam. Why did they go to Vietnam again? Because the Vietnamese government rolled out a red carpet. While Indonesia still hung on to it, well, we are the biggest they will come to us. And then mm. shockingly, they found out that no, you know, investors are not going to come to Indonesia just because Indonesia is the largest. So this mm-hmm. is where, like I said, this is where the omnibus law came in. And Jokowi pushed that because then they realized that, yeah, you know, they need to step up. Global capital will go to wherever it is welcomed, where it is made to feel the rewards will be greater and of course, Vietnam is a different country. I mean, it's a communist central party system. There isn't that demographic chaos, I would call it. Democratic chaos as Indonesia, when, you know, when presidents change, everything changes, right? Vietnam does not have that. But of course, the other side of the coin, of course, is Indonesia's, I feel democracy actually gives it a lot more stability. If you understand what's going on and if you take the time to really understand the changes on the ground and why over the last 10 years, maybe even 15 years, Indonesia has transformed itself. But that requires time and effort because it gets lost in the noise and it gets lost in the overall confusion about, oh, 
the central government does not control the state government, does not control the local, you know, Bupati. Yeah, but this is democracy, right? So you you cannot just feel that once the deal is done with the central government, you can just, you know, uh, wipe your hands and say, okay, done, I've done my work. No, you got to go down to the ground and you got to go meet the local Bupati. You got to go and talk to the governor. You got to make that effort. And I think that's where a lot of the long-term investors now understand that. You know, many dreams of foreign investors can crash upon the rocks of the reality in, in Indonesia. So I, you know, in the few minutes we have left, if you uh, can sit someone down and tell them the do's and don'ts after 20 years of experience in Indonesia, what, what is your advice to a would-be investor? Okay, so the two things that I always tell my clients who I help to come into Indonesia, number one, Take the time to understand the country. Okay? Patience. You have to have patience. And you have to take the time to understand the country. Right? There are many challenges. There are many obstacles. You know, don't rush in. You really need to do your study. You, but more, like I said, more importantly, understand the people. Right? Indonesians, I think, are very friendly. They're very open to foreign investors. But they also are very proud people, right? So I think that cultural understanding and empathy is very critical to doing business in Indonesia. Uh, secondly, is you have to have patient capital. You do not expect to earn that money back in a year or two years or three years. I think if you look at companies that have invested long-term in Indonesia, they have made incredible profits. I'll give you one example, Okay. Yeah. If you look at the Japanese initial investors into Indonesia, okay, who was who is today the number one company in Indonesia in terms of a Japanese investment? Toyota. Are you asking me? <laughs> I'm just. Toyota, I'm just right? Right. Huh? It's Toyota, right? Yeah, right. It'd be Toyota, sure. And Toyota worked with Astra to build a plant in the 1970s when nobody looked at Indonesia. They developed a car or the the, the Kijang. First, first of all, basically, they just came in and said, we'll build a factory, we'll do a joint venture with Astra, we'll bring in all the technology, we'll bring in all the skills, and we'll set up the plant, and we'll just produce a very basic car, which is what they did, right? Today, Astra International is one of the largest exporters of the Kijang into, into Southeast Asia and into India. If you go to India, the Kijang is a, is a luxury car. I didn't know that. The Kijangs are exported to India. Huh. Exactly. Toyota has been in here for 50, 60 years. 50 years, right? Half a century. Did they leave? They never left, right? And they've just grown and grown. And today they have market share. Uh, probably, what, 60, 70% of market in Indonesia. Oh, if yeah. you buy a Kijang and you want to sell it, you will never lose money, right? But they invested not only in terms of physical investment. They invested in their partners. They invested in the people. They are actually designing the Kijang in, in Indonesia now and produced in Indonesia and exported out. Who would have thought no. that that would be possible? Right? But that is where I'm saying that you got to have that kind of vision and mindset. I'm sure you know that the you know, government is trying very hard to lure and woo uh, Elon Musk to set up a, a factory in Indonesia. You think that's going to happen? Well, 
Uh, I think uh, Tesla is... The shares are down 40%. <laughs> yeah, but you see that you can't look at the share, right? You got to look at, you know, the market uh, gyrations are up and down. That's why I say patient capital. Do you have the patience to last 40 years? Do you, you have no, that vision to see 40 years down the road? You might be answering and, your own question there. <laughs> exactly. Elon not have patience. <laughs> so if, if, if Elon Musk does not have the patience, and, that, and you know why he would come to Indonesia? Because Indonesia has the largest reserves of nickel. Yes. And what is nickel used for? Electric vehicle batteries. Yeah. So if you're going to produce in a market that owns the largest, but you have to invest, right? Big time, billions of dollars. But you could be, over time, the largest producer of uh, batteries in the world yeah. and export it to every other major market that produces electric vehicles. Now, can I ask you one question? Mm, Do you think electric vehicles are the future? Oh, look, I don't think they are without problems. Uh, exactly, I, but I you know that they... they yeah, there will always be problems, but you know that this trend and this momentum is not going to stop, right? We are mm. going to be moving away from fossil fuels, whether yeah. it's in in decade or two decades, we don't know, but we are. We are starting to transition. So you want to be at the head of the curve, right? You want to be at the forefront of that transition. And that's why I'm saying to all these uh, major global players, that's the kind of vision you need to look at. You know, BMW is already starting to produce electric vehicles in Indonesia. They, they, have a, they have a small, what I would call pilot project. So, you know, people are looking at it. Sean Kagdab, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jeff. You have a good day. You too. Thanks to Shweb Kagda of Synthesis Communications for joining this podcast is a production of On The Level Media for the Singapore Chamber of Commerce. I'm Jeff Hutton. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.